Well, what a great day it is to be in the house of the Lord. So much positive things are occurring in our church family. I was thinking this week about the scripture that John David Tysinger read so beautifully for us. What if we renamed specific scripture passages in the Bible with the names of reality TV shows? I guess you might say that Jonah and the well could be renamed the deadliest catch. What about Jesus throwing the pigs down into the pool of water where they all drowned themselves? Could that be dirty jobs? But perhaps this scripture would best be renamed in the following reality TV lens, Desperate Housewives of Ancient Israel. You might have seen that a time or two featuring ladies that are seemingly always living in enmity with one another, whether they be based out of nearby Atlanta or Los Angeles or probably the most contentious of the group, the Desperate Housewives of New York. But sure enough, Elkanah, the patriarch of this family, had a problem on his hands. There was enmity in the house, and if you want to know why, just look at your scripture. It was 1 Samuel chapter 1, remember, on page 213 and 14 of your pew Bible. And it all gets started with verse number 2 of that chapter, which reads the following. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Presumably, Elkanah, the patriarch, had married Hannah for love, seeing with her the promise of a male heir that would seek the continuance of his family name. But unfortunately, Hannah was not able to produce any children. So then Elkanah had to marry for function. In other words, a business decision. So he married Penina, one who was able to give him children. But this did not stop Hannah from being his favorite. It's stated in as much at the times when they would go to Shiloh and give sacrifice to the Lord for the harvest he provided. When the harvest was made and the sacrifice was given to the Lord, certain cuts of meat were given to both spouses, but they were not equal. You might say that while Elkanah gave Hannah prime rib, he gave Penina hamburger steak, and she did not like being a second-class citizen, so she took revenge in her own hands. She began to poke fun at Hannah, exacerbating her shame, and lo and behold, it worked. Hannah entered into a deep cycle of despair. Her face was sullen. She had no appetite. And even when they went to Shiloh for times of festivities and sacrifice and celebration, it seemed that even church made it worse. Elkanah, the ever-trying-to-be-helpful Mel, wades into the situation trying to offer words of comfort and reassurance to Hannah, saying in verse 8, Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? 
Hannah just stared there and looked him up and down. Crickets followed, and Elkanah knew. (laughs) As great as a husband as he was, he could never fill the void of the fact that Hannah wanted to be a mother. Her shame and her intense emotions grew to such lengths that at certain moments during the festivities, she separated herself from the family, entering into the temple, which at that time would have been nothing more than a tent, and praying to God. Now, this was true of a powerful prayer. It says that her lips didn't move But a priest named Eli, who was nearby, knew that she was offering a fervent and powerful prayer unto the Lord. It says that Eli responded to her, asking if she had been drinking, something that wouldn't have been out of the norm because there was a party outside and people were tending to be overserved. But what it's really saying is that A powerful prayer makes all the calamity of a drunk person, yet while having all the holiness of God himself. In her heart, she made a vow, something that in Scripture is always set against a certain set of circumstances of desperation. A vow did not need a priest to intercess. It was something that Hannah was able to usher before God by herself. And in that vow, in verse 11, she says the following, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. In so many words, Hannah's vow said the following, God, if you give me the blessing, I will return the blessing to you. Now, I'm not one who advocates for deal-making with God. We've all done that a time or two, trying to bargain with the Lord, saying, God, if only you will do this, then I will go to church every Sunday. Somehow those deals don't quite happen, do they? But lo and behold, when Hannah's vow was predicated upon returning the blessing to God, it says that Eli, even though he wasn't privy to the exact words of the vow, blessed her and told her to go in peace. And so she did. The countenance that she once lost was returned to her. Her appetite returned And so to her vitality, Elkanah saw that his wife was back and perhaps in so many words fell in love with her all over again. They were able to conceive and Hannah was able to produce a son that she would name Samuel. Samuel was to be a great prophet, priest, and judge for a generation, but he's not really the focus of our story It's in a matriarchal figure, one Hannah whose name in the Hebrew, Chana, means grace, one who knew that every prayer, every vow that's predicated upon returning the blessing to God 
is met with God's agreement and blessing. But it's easy to say that we should go and do likewise. Far more difficult is it to follow through in practice. For while we are all too in favor of receiving God's blessings in our life, as represented by this empty jar, whether it be education, finance, family, or salvation itself, we have a much more difficult time returning that blessing back to God. Why? Well, my friends, I think in our hearts and minds, we fear. We fear that in returning a blessing to God, we are losing the blessing. And nobody wants to lose anything that is rightfully theirs. But in as much as we believe that we are playing it safe, we are playing the fool. For God's economy does not work like that. In order to receive more blessing, you have to be able to take the blessing you've received and faithfully put it back in his hands. Why, this church's history is predicated on such instances. Think back with me 175 years ago, when on August 9, 1847, William and Nancy Beale opened up their home to six other charter members of what was then known as the Little Tallapoosa Baptist Church. This same church grew in number and then relocated to its current site where 175 years later, we celebrate the fact that a previous generation was willing to return the blessing to God so that the blessing would be perpetrated on so many more and, in fact, perpetuated. Oh, my friends, in our own history, we know that the blessings are best used and become even more powerful when they are returned. Hannah knew that when the boy was weaned, as it says in Scripture, at about the age of three or four years of age, Hannah made the trip back to Shiloh, where she was of the mind to give Samuel there to the temple, dedicated for the rest of his life to be in service to God. It says in verse 24 through 27, after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Hannah was not just returning a child from the place where her vow was heard and honored. 
She was making an investment in future generations. For Samuel was to become the priest, the judge, and the prophet for an entire generation of Israel. In fact, in a later instance of his life, it was the boy Samuel who heard his name called in a midnight watch in the temple when it says the flame of the Lord was almost about to be extinguished. It means that Samuel was, in so many words, a lone voice crying out faithfulness to God when so many others had turned their backs. Samuel was a product of one mother having received the blessing of the Lord and saying, but it's not mine to keep. It's mine to use as a means and measure of worship to God as I return the blessing to him. Inasmuch as she was faithful with that, it says that Hannah was later blessed with five children. I think that this goes to say that when we return the blessing to God, we make room in our hearts and minds to be the recipient of even more blessings. But I think, moreover, it means that we understand that God alone can take the blessings we have received and when he receives them back can appropriately use them for the glorification of his kingdom, yes, but so also that you and I, my friends, will understand what it means to be fully alive. In addition to his role as prophet, priest, and judge, Samuel was also a king maker and a king breaker. It was Samuel who originally anointed King Saul, the first and failed king of ancient Israel. And when they knew that Saul wasn't going to work out, it was Samuel who went to the fields of one named Jesse in nearby Bethlehem. Calling all of Jesse's sons in, he looked at each and every one of them, from the most oldest and mighty to the youngest, and then still not seeing God's hand placed upon any one of them, asked him if there was someone else. Jesse said, yes, there is one whose name is David, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel says, bring him before me. And as soon as he lays eyes on the young shepherd boy, he knows this is to be not just the once, but forevermore king of Israel. For in David, there was a promise that God said he would establish a line of power that would never cease to end. And it was that same Davidic king line that ultimately led to the family line that would produce one from Bethlehem known as Joseph. You might remember that Joseph was the earthly father of one named Jesus. He who grew up in discipline to his parents and then later assumed the mantle of being God's forebear of grace and gospel for three years, bringing everything to a crescendo, not when he was crucified on a cross, but when he walked from the empty tomb fully alive and declared over every single person the ultimate expression of our life and our very existence isn't in the grace we receive. It's in the blessings and the grace 
we return. How many of you, my friends, have been blessed by immeasurably more grace than ever you could ask or realize? It is the power, as in the words of Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, our text that carries us throughout this sermon series that is able to do so much more. A power that is at work within us, and it comes through no other person than Jesus Christ himself, which is why Paul exclaims in doxology, to him be all honor and glory in Jesus Christ through the church throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It pronounces over each and every one of us. If you believe that you have received immeasurably more grace, then recognize that you, my friends, have a blessing of tremendous value and worth that lasts for all of eternity. And in as much as we have received, we see in the example of Hannah and even Jesus himself That it is ours not just to receive, it is ours to return. I wonder, my friends, you sitting in the pews today, count your blessings, yes, but how many of us are returning our blessings? You've received an education in all of Christianity, but are we returning our blessings for the generations that follow are we receiving financial blessings from the lord yes but not investing fiscally speaking in the offering plate when it comes by for it is our opportunity to be participants in worship and to invest in lives that are being transformed by the gospel Are we people that sit here and benefit from a beautiful worship, blessings upon blessings, and hopefully a sermon that you have seen that has value, but we don't go out into our community and establish our own pulpits? Oh, my friends, I'm telling you, in as much as you have received grace through this church and the ministry of Jesus Christ, Inasmuch as you have received a possession so beautiful and unique and powerful as if it were your only son, the fulfillment is not ever in keeping and hoarding such blessings and hoping that you'll never lose them. The beauty is always in taking those blessings which you have received and returning them to God preaching in his name, giving in his name, serving in his name. And so as I look at a children's hall that still needs Sunday school teachers or a CAM 3 program that still needs Wednesday night leaders, I believe God is putting it on our hearts and minds to say, inasmuch as I have received, I'll return the blessing These children will have Sunday school teachers. These children will have Wednesday night leaders. And in following the example of four young adults who have stepped forward to take the interim youth ministry role, the answer is not out there ready to be hired or contracted. The answer is here in this, our church family, 
of God. Oh, I don't think that there's one need that's before us that it can go unmet because of all the blessings we have received. And inasmuch as we are faithful with returning that blessing to God, we will see and witness and experience the immeasurably more that is far more than we could ever ask or imagine. So with that in the forefront of our hearts and minds, I ask you to respond. How? You tell me. How is God asking you, leading you to return the blessing? It might be something that's already on the tip of your tongue. You're ready to shout it out. I'm here to hear about it and pray for you. It could be something that's going to be meditated on throughout this week, but When you know it, you'll circle back around and say, Pastor, I've got something to tell you. Or it could just be something that you decide to do, and I just see it, or others see it from afar. And when we do, we will praise God for one who had the faith to return the blessing. May we go to God in prayer. Father, not what we have received, as great as that is. What we return to you in faithfulness. That's the true beauty of our relationship. For you take, you make, and you mold and multiply those blessings into so much more. Allow us now in this time of invitation to be a part of that by moving towards you, for you will be close to us. You will not disappoint. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Your hymn of response as you reach for your hymnal is none other than hymn 504. Please stand and sing with me, Have Thine Own Way, Lord.